what a wonderful joy to be with you guys on this Resurrection Sunday. Um, I'm so privileged and humbled to get to open the Word of God this morning and teach the message of hope uh, to you. And I pray that we would all be stirred in much gratitude and peace as we, as we do so. If you have your Bibles with you, uh, I would invite you to turn to Matthew chapter 21. I'm going to be uh, teaching through a parable that Jesus teaches in Matthew 21. If uh, you have been at Two Rivers uh, over the last weeks or months, you know that we are moving through the gospel of Matthew week by week. And today we land in Matthew chapter 21. Last week was the triumphant entry of Jesus, the triumphant or humble entry of Jesus into Jerusalem uh, during Holy Week. And that was probably on a Monday. And so day two, he comes back to Jerusalem again on Tuesday. So the context this morning of Matthew 21, it is during Holy Week, probably on a Tuesday, Jesus is in the temple. And there are multitudes of people in Jerusalem, uh, Gentiles, non-Jewish people from, uh, from Galilee area where Jesus spent two-thirds of his ministry, have all traveled down following Jesus because they've heard the message and they've seen the miracles that he has done and they're in Jerusalem. Also, so many Jewish pilgrims were in Jerusalem because they are celebrating the Passover feast. And so people are everywhere in Jerusalem. And the central reality of Jerusalem in the day of Jesus is the temple. And Jesus is in the temple, and he's teaching, and he's engaging, and it's Holy Week. And what Jesus is going to teach on today for us is this. Wedding, a wedding feast is like heaven. Heaven is like a wedding feast. And who doesn't love a good wedding feast? So what I want you to do is I want, if, you're, if you've been married, if you're married in the room, I want you to think of your wedding. I want you to get in party mode, get in party mode. And if, you, if you're not married, think of the, like the best wedding party that you've ever been to. Because with me right now? So we're in party zone right now. Heaven is like a party. And when you play usher at a wedding reception, I dance. <laughs> and you dance. And we all dance. Because wedding, there's a, there's, a, there's a palpability of joy that is there at a wedding feast. And that's the parable that Jesus is going to give us literally days away from the cross. Um, let's read the first couple of verses together in Matthew 21. And I'll just slowly work through this uh, with us this morning. Um, Jesus spoke to them, spoke to all the people that were at the temple and he spoke to them again in parables. Jesus is a master teacher. He loved to use story, illustration, so that people could understand and see what he was teaching and proclaiming. And so he uses parables to teach. And he said this in verse 2, Matthew 22, The kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven, is like a king who prepared a wedding banquet for his son. The kingdom of heaven is like a wedding party. And that's, that's where I want us to be this morning. I love that Jesus uses a wedding feast for an illustration to describe what heaven is like. Uh, be reminded, when Jesus' ministry became public for the first time, 
when, when he was around 30 or so years old, the very first miracle that he performed was turning water to wine at a what? At a wedding feast. And now at the very end of his ministry, before he would days away, before he would go to the cross, he's talking again about a wedding feast. One of the things that I love most about being a pastor is that I get to officiate a lot of weddings. This was, I think, two or three summers ago. Uh, I think I officiated 11 weddings in a summer. That's a lot of weddings in a summer. Uh, but over the course of the last 20 years of being a pastor, i I would say that I've probably officiated up to 75 weddings, and uh, they're so much fun, and they connect me in such a significant way into the story of people's lives, and I just want to help us get there. I want to help us get to a wedding feast in our minds and our hearts before we continue on through this, um, through, through this parable. When you think about a wedding, what are words that come to your mind? Like when you're thinking about a wedding, what comes to your mind? Maybe even four or five of you might even be willing to say out loud a word that you think about when you think about a wedding feast. Give me a word. Joy. Say, what's that? Dancing. Joy. Dancing. Love. Celebration. Commitment. Community. Family. These are all the words that I describe. Say again. Honeymoon. Thank you, Greg. <laughs> Honeymoon. Yes, indeed. <laughs> Laughter. Joy. This is heaven. This is what Jesus came to give us. Words like joy, love, covenant. These are words that I wrote down. Covenant, family, relationships, dancing. This is heaven. So, at the very end of the Bible, the last book in the New Testament, Revelation 19, we get this visual, this picture of the marriage supper of the Lamb, where God's people, all tribes, all tongues, all ethnicities, over all time, are all gathered together in fellowship and in unity to honor Jesus the Christ, who is the bridegroom of his bride, the church. And here is what it says in Revelation 19. Then I heard, then I heard what sounded like a great multitude, like the roar of rushing waters, like loud peals of thunder shouting, Hallelujah, for our Lord God Almighty reigns. Let us, let us rejoice. Let us rejoice and be glad and give him glory for the wedding of the Lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. Fine linen, bright and clean, was given to her to wear. And I want to emphasize that last phrase, was given, fine linen, bright and clean, was given to her to where her is the bride in revelation 19 who is the bride the church the sons and daughters of god the people of god we are the bride and we have been given a garment to wear at the marriage supper of the lamb 
given to her. I want us to remember that phrase, given to her, as we continue to work through this parable that Jesus gives us in Matthew 22. Well, the invitations go out. The invitations go out from the king to the wedding feast in honor for his son. First invitation, verses 3 and 4, he, the king, sent his servants to those who had been invited to the banquet to tell them to come, but they refused to come. And then he sent some more servants, and he said, tell those who have been invited that I have prepared my dinner, my oxen and fatted cattle have been butchered, and everything is ready. The filet mignon is ready. Come to the wedding banquet. The first invitation is this, come and enjoy fellowship with the king and his son in honor of the son, and you are invited to come. You're not forced to come. You're not made to come. You are invited to come. You see, for love to be authentic and real, there has to be a freedom for those invited to say yes or to refuse the invitation. Because if we can't refuse the invitation, there's no freedom to say yes or no, and we're under the control of the king, but we're not under the control of this invitation. The invitation is a free invitation for those to say yes or no. And so the invitation goes out, and they didn't, the king didn't get a response, and so he sent more servants out to say, the day is the day, come, the, the banquet is ready for you to come, but the refusal of the invitation persisted for those who were invited first. Verses 5 and 6, the refusal of the invitation, it says, but they paid no attention. Those who were invited first, they paid no attention, and they went off, one to his field and another to his business. And the rest seized his servants. The rest of those who were invited seized the servants of the king who were inviting them to the banquet and they mistreated them and they killed them. The refusal of the first invitation didn't go very well for the servants who were inviting, freely inviting people to come. You see, the people that we would most expect to say yes to the invitation are the Jewish people who had literally been waiting for hundreds and hundreds of years for the fulfillment of the Messiah to come. And Jesus, the Messiah, came first for the Jewish people, the people of God, Israel, and then to the Gentiles. And so what Jesus is talking about here, and he's speaking in the temple to Jewish religious and leaders, and he's saying, you are the ones who were invited first. I came for the Jewish nation first, and we would expect them to come, but they did not enter. They did not believe that Jesus was the Messiah. Some did. Some did uh, receive the invitation. Every disciple of Jesus was Jewish, but as a nation, the Jewish nation refused Jesus as Messiah. And so in the parable, Jesus gives us reasons um, uh, 
alibis, if you will, of those who refuse the invitation. And I think the reasons for the refusal of the free invitation uh, rings in our ears today. The first group of people that refuse the invitation, it says they paid no attention. And there are a couple of examples that Jesus gives about they paid no attention. Uh, one went to their fields. They went to their own lives. I'm, I'm too busy. I have my own life. I have my own field to tend to, my own, my own home, my own things to do. I pay no attention to that invitation because I have my own life to live. And the second one says he went to his own business. I have my own money to make. I have my own journey. I have my own priorities. I have my own values. I have my own way. And what Jesus is saying is they paid no attention. They chose themselves. First group of people. The second group of people was open opposition. The first group just paid no attention to the invitation. And the second group was an open opposition to the invitation. And Jesus said they seized the servants, mistreated them, killed them. We think of stories like John the Baptist, who was the herald, Jesus' first cousin, the herald of Jesus, who was martyred for his faith. We think of stories like Stephen in Acts chapter 7, who would not stop speaking the name of Jesus. The truth of his cross and his resurrection was stoned to death. We think of every single disciple who would ultimately be martyred for their refusal to stop proclaiming the name of Jesus. These are the servants that Jesus is talking about that was mistreated and killed. This is the reality, a prophetic reality that would happen that Jesus is talking about. So the refusal of the invitation, the mistreatment and the martyrdom of the servants, verses 7 and 8, the king's response to the first invitation and to the rejection, verses 7 and 8. Again, this is the words of Jesus, Holy Week, Tuesday, Wednesday before the cross. Jesus, a master teacher, telling a parable to help wake people up to the truth that he is the Lord and he is here to rescue. And he says these words in the parable, verses 7 and 8. He says, the king, the king was enraged. And he sent his army and destroyed those murderers and burned their city. And then he said to his servants, the wedding banquet is ready, but those I invited did not deserve uh, to come. This is a pretty graphic, honestly, prophecy about the religious rulers in Jerusalem who would reject Christ and would crucify the Christ two days later. And continue to kill the servants of the Christ in the days, weeks, months, years ahead. This prophecy in verses 7 and 8 would come to a sobering fulfillment in A.D. 70. When Rome would come in under Titus and literally burned, destroyed the entire city of Jerusalem. There's an ancient Jewish a historian, his name is Josephus. The words that Josephus writes are not scripture, but he's an ancient Jewish historian, and this is something that Josephus wrote about what happened in A.D. 70. He said that there was not enough wood in Jerusalem for all of the crosses that were made 
to crucify all of the Jewish religious leaders. Jesus speaking prophetically about what would happen for those who refuse the invitation of the king and reject his son as the Messiah. And so the king sends out a second invitation because of the refusal of the first invitation. Verses 9 and 10, Go, the king said, to the street corners and invite to the banquet anyone you find. And so his servants went out into the streets and gathered all the people they could find, both good and bad people. And I just want you to, I just want you to hear that. The servants go to the streets and they invite anyone they could find. And it doesn't matter if they have good character or bad character. It doesn't matter what decisions they made yesterday or 10 years ago. Good and bad. Invite everyone you can find to the banquet table. And the wedding hall was filled with guests. The Gentiles are those who are on the street corners. The Gentiles are non-Jews. The Gentile... That's me. That's you. That's us. The king sent his servants to find you and me on the street corners and said, you, all of you, every single person, you are invited to the banquet. This invitation is what I would call the radical inclusivity of the gospel that the Gentiles have been invited in to know and to worship and be transformed and be saved and to come into the family of God because Jesus the rescuer has invited you and me as well. I would say that this invitation is what is known as the scandal of grace. Invite the good and the bad. In other words, Your past behavior, it does not qualify you for the invitation. And I would say it this way, it also doesn't disqualify you from the invitation. You are invited. As uh, Philip was speaking to Nathaniel and calling him to come and see Jesus. The invitation in this passage in the banquet table from Jesus to us is come and see. Come and receive and come as you are. Don't worry about your badges. Let go of your badges. And the baggage that you're carrying around, leave that as well. Just come to the banquet. It is ready for you. If you are hungry And if you are thirsty, come and eat and drink. If you are weary, if you're weary, and if you are heavy laden, come and you will find rest. If you are broken, if you are wounded, if you are angry, if you are addicted, good or bad, come and find healing If you're lonely, if you're afraid, come and find relationship and love that drives out the shame and the fear. Just come as you are. 
But what Jesus is going to tell us as he wraps up the, con- the conclusion of this parable, there's one thing that he says don't come with. And it's this, uh, don't come with pride and don't come with self-righteousness. You got to leave that at the door. You got to humble yourself. You got to humble yourself and come and you leave your pride and your self-righteousness. A theme that we've been seeing over and over in the Gospel of Matthew as we've worked through this uh, gospel as a church family as Jesus says this, I need you, I'm inviting you to go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. So leave your baggage, leave your badges, and come to the banquet table. I have a wedding garment for you. Remember Revelation 19? The wedding garment was given to us by the grace of of God in Jesus, 11, verses 11 to 12, the wedding garment. But when the king came in to see, remember he's speaking to religious leaders who are rejecting him as Messiah. And when the king came in to see the guest, he noticed a man there who was not wearing wedding clothes. Friend, he asked, How did you get in here without wedding clothes? And the man was speechless. Then the king told told the attendants, tie him hand and foot, throw him outside into darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. For many are invited, but few are chosen. You see, to accept the king's invitation is to lay down our self-righteousness and to humble ourselves and to receive his righteousness for us. To humble ourselves, to receive the wedding garments that have been given to us. This is a picture of the provision of his grace. And this man in this parable evidently thought that he was good enough by his own doing, by his own merit, to come to this wedding banquet. He believed that by his good works and his own self-righteous acts allowed him to be there. Uh, Isaiah the prophet who uh, spoke a lot of messianic prophecy about Jesus spoke to us about our inability in and of ourselves to earn our own righteousness before a holy righteous God. And he wrote these words in Isaiah 64, 6 of people who won't humble themselves because they think so highly of their own goodness. All of us, all of us, have become like one who is unclean, and all our righteous acts are like filthy rags. We all shrivel up like a leaf, and like the wind, our sins sweep us away. But Isaiah also speaks of the majesty the majesty of God's grace and mercy to save us by exchanging our garments, by exchanging our self-righteousness and giving us his righteousness for us. He writes these words in Isaiah 61, 10. This is significant visual, I believe, for what Jesus is teaching us in Matthew chapter 22 in this parable. I delight greatly in the Lord. My soul rejoices in my God, for he has 
He has clothed me. Revelation 19, he has given us. Isaiah 61, for he has clothed me with garments of salvation, and he has arrayed me in a robe of his righteousness. Paul um, picks this language up, this idea of an exchange of our self-righteousness for his righteousness in a verse in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. And this verse has become known as the great exchange. And so this is the idea. We lay down our self-righteousness, our inability to earn it, to do it ourselves, and we take on the righteousness of Christ being made for us. The great exchange, 2 Corinthians 5, 20 and 21. Um, we had a Good Friday service on Friday, the first ever Good Friday service we've ever had here at Two Rivers, and honestly, the first ever Good Friday service that I've ever been to in my life um, this past Friday. And one of the things, I grew up in a more traditional uh, church environment, and we did uh, responsive readings, and we would read things aloud, and I just got stirred with that on Friday. And so we're going to read a couple of verses aloud together. And I want us to read aloud 2 Corinthians 5, 20 and 21. The great exchange, if you would read this with me, I would love to invite you to do that. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. The great exchange. Jesus, the king, his perfect righteousness given to you, given to me, and he takes on our righteousness, the great exchange. You are invited, and you are given a robe of righteousness. But we have to humble ourselves to receive his righteousness for us. Another verse I want us to read out loud, Romans 5, 8, and 9. Read this with me. Paul, the great exchange. Here we go. You see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person, someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since we have now been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? The great exchange. God's wrath is his holy justice against the evil in the world. His holy justice is his wrath. And God's grace is his holy, righteous, unmerited favor, giving us his garment of salvation and giving us his robe of righteousness. This is the great exchange. 
His love and His grace, His love and His grace and His mercy and His compassion is the invitation for you today. You are invited. Good and bad. Wherever you've been, wherever you are, you're invited. Whoa, that was, that was fantastic. It's almost like the curtain being ripped from top to bottom. We talked about, man, thank you, Lord. Holy Spirit, fall on us fresh. You are invited. You are loved. And in response, come and dance. Come to heaven. Come and taste. Come and see the palpability of joy and peace and love. Like just, just come and get caught up in it. And I see the flow of Matthew 22, and it's this. The wedding banquet invitation is simply this. You are beloved. You are the beloved of God. I don't care what street corner you're on or whatever corner you've been on, good and bad, you are beloved of God and you are invited to the feast. And the response is simply this, come to the party and dance with gratitude, love God, love people, and taste what Jesus said, I have come to give you abundant life. Heaven is a party and it's like a wedding feast and we all get to come. Here's how Jesus ends Matthew 22. These famous words that we know so well. But I want you to put it in the context of the wedding feast. First and foremost, you are the beloved of God. You are invited. Grace upon grace has been given to you. And the response is simply this. Come, love God in response and love people. Hearing that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees and the Pharisees, they got together. And one of them was an expert in the law, tested Jesus with this question, teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? And Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. Just get caught up in the love of God. Just get caught, lose yourself in the love of God. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. While the Pharisees were gathered together, Jesus asked them, What do you think about the Christ? Whose son is he? So we are all gathered here today, Resurrection Sunday. 2022, the 10th time as a church community we have celebrated the resurrection. And I simply just want to ask you this question. But what do you think about the Christ? What do you think about Messiah? Whose son do you say that he is how will you respond to the invitation that the banquet is ready the son has been sacrificed for you and he is risen and he is alive
and he has come to save you. Will you come? Will you exchange your garment of self-righteousness for his garment of his perfect righteousness? Do you insist that your garment of morality is sufficient for the holiness, the holiness of God? Do you insist in your evaluation that you are better off and that you are a little bit better than most people? Do you insist that your religious activity is adequate to come into God's very presence at his wedding feast for his son? Or will you humble yourself to receive his mercy and his grace and his forgiveness for you? Will you humble yourself to ask him to remove your garment of pride and shame and fear and self-righteousness and save you with his garment of his perfect righteousness for you? Will you humble yourself and take God's gift of the cross and resurrection so that you are covered in his righteousness? The message, the message is simply this today. Jesus the Christ came to save us. Even the ones on the street corners, the good and the bad. He died on the cross for our sins and he has risen. He is alive and well and he offers salvation to any and all who want to receive it. You don't have to do anything to earn it and no one is worthy of it. So we got to let go of the whole idea of earning it and worthiness. No one's worthy. He alone is worthy, and he's giving you his worthiness and his righteousness. You just have to believe and receive. That is the message that I proclaim to you today. Come to the party and dance and get caught up in the love of God that is heaven. We're going to sing we're going to sing now. Worship team, you can come back again. I don't know how many people are in here, but it's more than five or six. And there's something that has been happening in this room over the last weeks and months. There's a fresh anointing, I believe, of the Spirit of God that is falling on this people and everyone who has been coming to be awakened of the very presence of God. So I just want to invite you as you sing to position yourself to receive and to be caught up in what God has done for you and to be stirred in gratitude and joy as we sing these songs. I do want to let you know um, as we worship the King, uh, we have prayer ministers who are available in the back. They have lanyards on and they are ready to pray with you. And so if you've never Receive the invitation to the party. My invitation to you is to say yes. We have people in the back who are ready to pray with you, pray for you. Um, go, introduce yourself. They want to meet you. They're going to be in the back during these last two songs as we sing these last two songs. Let us worship the King. Would you stand? Would you stand as we worship this morning in celebration that Jesus is the Lord and we honor Him and we worship Him to God be the glory. <laughs>